Welcome. Welcome to Providence Road. If you are a guest with us this morning, my name is Blake Hilgenfeld, and my family and I are covenant members here at Prov Road, and we are very grateful and thankful that you have joined us this morning for our first week of Advent. Now, over the next uh, four weeks leading up to Christmas, we are going to be in the first two chapters of the Gospel of Luke. And we are going to be looking into the lives of several people who God used to bring about the most important and miraculous events in the history of the world, the coming or the arrival of the Son of God, the Savior of the world, Jesus Christ. And so we're going to look at who, they, uh, who these people were. We're going to see how they were thinking and how they were feeling. We're going to see how they responded, but most importantly, we're going to see the greatness of our God, and we're going to see the great things that he has done for us. For there is nothing more that I want for my family, for myself, for all of us here this morning, for the Church of Providence Road, for this Advent season, for us to see the greatness of God. That is our hope. That is our prayer. That as we look at the story of Jesus over the next several weeks, that we would be blown away by the greatness of God and that it would humble us and it will cause us to respond like Mary responded with our souls magnifying the Lord and overflowing out of us will be praise, rejoicing, and thanksgiving as a result of seeing the greatness of our God and the great things that he has done for us. So let's pray and then we're going to jump into our passage. Father, it's good for us to take a, a moment and recognize that you're here with us, that your presence is near, and for us to recognize our need for you. Father, as we read your word this morning, we ask that through the Holy Spirit that you would awaken us to your greatness, that we would see your greatness in the way that you have brought about our salvation, and that your greatness would humble us, and your greatness in all the things that you have done for us and who you are would cause us to be a thankful people. So we ask, Father, that you would show us, that you would teach us, that you would help us to see more clearly how great you are. In Jesus' name, amen. All of human history has been moving to this one particular event where God is about to change the course of human history. So all of the heavens and all of creation has been longing for the day when God would come and save us, that he would save us from sin and death, that he would take on flesh and blood and send a Savior into the world, into this dark, broken, corrupt world, and he would free us once and for all from the beginning our first parents, Adam and Eve, rebelled against the maker of heaven and earth. And ever since that day, all of humanity has been held captive to sin and death. 
and all the heavens and all of creation, all of humanity, whether they know it or not, have been longing for this need for God to come and rescue us. Now, it's crucial for us to understand this one point that the gospel writer Luke is wanting to make at this very beginning throughout this passage. He wants us to see where God is in this moment of history when he takes on flesh and blood and he comes to you and to me to save us. Where is God? Look at verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you should call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Now, have any of you heard of Bakoshi, Oklahoma? Anyone? I haven't. I have no clue where Bakoshi, Oklahoma is. I don't even know if I'm saying that correctly, but all I know about Bakoshi, Oklahoma is that it has a population of 400 people, which is the population or was the population of Nazareth when God himself, through the angel of Gabriel, came to this humble, unknown, unimportant city, and he came to a young, humble woman named Mary. Now, we don't know for sure how old Mary was when God came to her. Nowhere in the Gospels does it tell us her exact age, but we can uh, guess, or it's probable, that she was around 15 or 16 years old when God came to her through the angel Gabriel, because at this time, that was the average age of those who would be engaged to be married. So where is God? In the beginning of bringing about his great salvation plan, he's not with the influencers of the day. He's not with the most attractive. He's not with the most powerful. He's not who the world would probably use to bring about the most important event in the history of the world. He is with a humble teenage girl in an unknown city in the Middle East. I mean, out of all the places, out of all the people that God could choose and used to bring about his salvation plan, he used this unknown town and this unknown girl. So think about it like this. The only reason why we know Nazareth 
The only reason why we know of Mary is not because of their greatness. Mary is arguably the most famous woman in the history of the world, not because there's anything special in her that made her special to any of you women in this, in this room this morning. They are only famous because of the great things that God did in and through him. Now, why is this significant? It's significant because this should humble us like a humbled Mary. Look at verse 46. Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed, for he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. Now there are two things that I want us to see in Mary's response to the great things that God has done for her. The first is this. Only a humble heart can magnify the Lord. And the second, only those who are humble can receive the great things that God has done. So let me say those again. Only a humble heart can magnify the Lord, and only those who are humble can actually receive God's grace. So let's start with that first one. Only those who are humble, or only those who who are humble, can magnify the Lord. Mary says this. She says, my soul magnifies. My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Now, what does it mean to magnify something? Well, let's take a microscope and a telescope, right? Both are used to magnify things. It's been a while since I've actually used a microscope, But it's absolutely amazing how you can take something so small and you can't see it, but you put it under that microscope and you actually can see it. It makes it big. But a telescope, it helps us to see something that's already big and it makes it bigger. You actually see how big it is. So for our souls to magnify God, we must be like a telescope. We must first see how great God already is. Our souls must see how supreme and important and significant God already is. And when that happens, two things happen. When we see the greatness of God, he becomes bigger and more significant, and we become smaller and less significant. Like Mary... When our souls see who God really is and the great things that he has done for us, we will magnify him. We will think, we will feel, we will act in such a way that makes God look as great as he really is. For this is what we are created for. Our souls were created to magnify and to make much of God, not ourselves. Now, this is a pretty foreign worldview today, isn't it? You see, we are taught at a very, very early age that we are to make much of ourselves, that we are to magnify ourselves and to make us look as big as possible. Because the promise is that as we make much of ourselves, as we make ourselves look bigger, then we will receive the happiness and the satisfaction our souls long for. 
And so we spend our lives making a name for ourselves. We use our time, our money, our talents, our mind, making much of everything else but God. Hoping that making much of our Cells, our kids, our careers, our experiences, that our souls will finally find the rest and peace and joy and satisfaction and delight that we all long for. But how are they working out for us? I mean, can we honestly say that a deepest part of who we are, the deepest part of our being, that we can truly say that we're satisfied by making much of ourselves? I mean, can we say this morning, like Mary, that my spirit rejoices, my soul rejoices in making much of myself. My soul rejoices in all the things that I have done. My soul takes great pleasure in me. It can't, it doesn't, but it tries, doesn't it? But we are left empty. We are left wanting more. Listen, we were created for joy. And the only way to freedom and rejoicing for our souls is to not make much of ourselves or to magnify ourselves. The soul longs to experience true joy, not some cheap imitation that comes and goes based on likes and successes and circumstances and accomplishments. The way to true joy within our souls is to see the greatness of God and to spend our life making much of him, not ourselves. Mary saw. She saw the greatness of God. And as a result, her soul magnified the Lord, and out of her flowed thanksgiving and praise and rejoicing. Give me some of that. You with me? Give me the reality and the experience of our souls coming out of our souls flows thanksgiving and praise and rejoicing. That's what I want, and I know that's what you want, and the only source that will satisfy the hunger of our souls, the desperation of our souls, is to see the greatness of God and to see all the great things that he has done for us and to spend our lives making much of him, not ourselves, for only a humble heart can magnify the Lord. And only a soul that magnifies the Lord, that sees his greatness, can actually rejoice and be satisfied. That's the first thing. The second is only those who are humble can receive God's grace. Look at verse 46. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Why? For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. As a result, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. Why? For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. Mary saw very clearly that God came to her simply because God chose to come to her. She saw that God did not choose her because of anything special within her to bring the Son of God into this world. She said, for God looked on what? On the humble estate of his servant. In other words, she says, why me? Why me? 
out of all the women in the world, why me? There's nothing special about me. I am not worthy. I am undeserving. I'm just this unknown girl in this unknown place. Why me? Why Mary? Simply because of God's grace. God's grace comes to those who are undeserving. That's what grace is. Grace is getting something that we don't deserve. Therefore, only a humble heart can receive God's grace. Only those who see that they are actually undeserving and in need can actually receive the great things God has done. Listen, God promises us some great things. He promises to do for us amazing things. But you have to see that you can do nothing apart from him. We have to come to the dead end of ourselves in order to ever receive God's grace. Can we be honest this morning? I I, want to be a little vulnerable. We are all undeserving. I know we live in a time and a place that we're entitled to basically everything, but the reality and the truth is we are all undeserving. The only thing that we are actually deserving of is death. For the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. That's what we have earned. We are helpless. We are weak. We are broken. We are fragile. I mean, we're just this small organism in the scope of human history. God owes us absolutely nothing. And if we don't recognize that, and if we don't humble ourselves and see that we are undeserving people, then we will never truly understand the great things that God has done for us. But if we find ourselves in a place this morning that we actually see and recognize that, man, we can do absolutely nothing, that we are fragile, that we are weak, and that we are in need of God to do great things for us, then we will actually see the greatness of God. We actually see the good news in Philippians chapter 2. Listen to this good news. God humbled himself. For if we do not recognize and know that God ultimately, he's humbled at heart. That's his nature. So he humbled himself, he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Guys, God came to the undeserving. He came to you and me that are only deserving to be separated from him as a result of our rebellion, just like our first parents, Adam and Eve. We deserve absolutely nothing but to be separated from him. We do not deserve for him to come to us, but he humbled himself, took on flesh and blood, and he took our place on the cross. He took all of our rebellion, he took all of our sin upon himself, and he died in our place so that all who humble themselves and come to him can be forgiven and receive salvation. 
God promises to do great things for you and for me if we humble ourselves and we cry out to him, we are in desperate need of you. He promises rest. He promises life. He promises freedom from sin and death. He promises to take away all of your sin and remember it no more. He promises to put his spirit within you. He promises to give you a hope for an amazing future. He promises to protect you. He promises to provide for you. He promises all of these great things for you and for me if we humble ourselves and we come to him and we confess our need for him. Why? Why me? And why you? Why would God ever do anything like this for you and me? Who am I? Who am I to deserve this goodness and this graciousness of God? Who are you? Like, who are we that God would actually desire to be with us and for us to belong to him? Why would he do all these great things? Because that's who he is. If you didn't know this, God loves to do great things for the undeserving. That's what makes him so great, is that he loves to do things for the undeserving. So the question is this morning, have we come to the end of ourselves? Have we thrown up our hands and we've said to him, God, I need you. I'm desperate for you. I am nothing apart from you. Or are we still trying to make it on our own? Are we still trying to rely on ourselves, trusting in ourselves? Are we spending our lives making much of ourselves? Guys like Mary... God comes to us this morning, and he promises to do great things for us. He doesn't come to us through an angel, but he does come to us through his word and his spirit. And he says to us, listen to his voice. Listen to how gentle and humble Jesus is. He says in Matthew 11, he says, come to me, all who labor and who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Do you hear his voice this morning? Jesus, who is gentle and who is humble in heart, he says to you and me, he says, come. Come to me. Whatever is weighing you down, Whatever burden you carry, come to me, and I'll carry it for you. And I will give you rest. And I'll give you great things. How are we going to respond to that amazing invitation this morning? May our response be like Mary's. That after seeing the greatness of God, and then after seeing all the great things that he has done for us in and through his son, Jesus Christ, that we would humble ourselves and that we would say to him, my soul magnifies you, not me, you. My spirit rejoices 
in you. Why? Because of your greatness and because of all the great things that you have done for us. Guys, this is what we desperately need for Advent. This is what we need for Christmas. Like, we need to see. I want to see. I want my family to see. I want my kids, my wife, all of us. I want us to see more clearly this Advent season of the greatness of God. Because that's what we desperately need the most. To see the greatness of God. To see the great things that he has done for us. Because as a result of seeing our souls, we're finally find the satisfaction and the rest and the peace that we long for. So my application is very simple. It's just one thing. That during this Advent season, that we would seek to see. That we would seek to see. That we would spend time in this story. That we would spend time in his word. That we would spend time hearing his voice. That we would spend time seeing how he has revealed his greatness to us in his word. That we would talk about the story. That we would talk about him. That we would, that we would spend more time in his word. And as a result of seeing his greatness, not only would we speak his greatness, but that we would spend our lives making him as great as he really is. That we may seek to see that as a result, that we too, like Mary, can say, my soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in the greatness of God, for he is great, and he has done great things for us. Amen? Let's pray. I just want to give us just a, a moment to reflect before we take communion. A moment of just stillness and quiet where you can cry out, that you can confess, that you can acknowledge the greatness of God, and then that greatness would make him look great and us less great. If you find in your souls that you are hungry and desperate for God, take some time and cry out to him. Jesus, we need you. Every moment, every hour, we need you. We recognize this morning and we see the greatness of who you are and the great things that you have done for us.
that you chose to come to us. Us. In Norman, Oklahoma, of all the places and all the people, you've chosen to come to us and reveal your greatness to us and to reveal our need for you and to reveal the great things that you have done through your life and through your death and your resurrection. You promise us salvation. You promise us forgiveness. You promise us life. And for all of us who have recognized that and have come to you and received it, that is true of us, that we already have these great things that you have given to us. Help us to see that. And in this Advent season, may it cause us to rejoice. May it cause us to seek you and not lesser things. That you would help us and that you would free us from the distractions and that you would help us to continue to pursue you, that you would help us to seek and see you this Advent season. For whether we know it or not, some of us know that we are in desperate for that, other of us do not know, but that you would reveal that to all of us, that we are in desperate need to seek and see who you are and what you have done. Because that is what our souls long for and in desperate need for. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.